ladies and gentlemen, perhaps the most anticipated episode in this show's history. Barbie Heimer. We're here to talk about it. Was it good? Was it bad? A little bit of both. Joining me, Patrick Segan. He's back since Twin Peaks. Firewalk with me. He has returned. Patrick, how you doing? I am back. I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for asking. How are you doing, Noah? I'm doing good. We've got a lot to talk about. But first, since you have been on the show in a while, uh, I was wondering, first off, we're, we're halfway through the year. Uh, I know that what you watch over 2023 can sometimes vary. Um, but I was wondering if you had seen anything noteworthy in 2023 as far as recent releases go, other than the two movies that we're talking about today. Um, and then what you thought about this year as a whole, and then maybe a couple things that you've seen outside of 2023. Um, okay. Uh, I think the only thing I've seen like in theaters recently has been Dead Reckoning. Did you see that? I saw it. I saw it. What'd you make of that one? Yeah, it's it's fun, man. It's a yeah. it's a good time. Yeah, I uh, enjoyed, enjoyed that it? one. Yeah, I I enjoyed that one a lot. Yeah, it was fun. I enjoy those movies. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to part two. It should be yeah. it should be cool. And then what have um, you seen? Uh, yeah, outside twenty twenty three. Outside twenty twenty three, I don't I don't know a lot, dude. Um, n- nothing like really life changing, but I I really love uh. This Deadbeat at Dawn mm-hmm. movie by Jim Van Beber. Have you have you seen this? No, but I need to check that one out. I need to give that a watch because I've seen you been on that kick of on Letterboxd on the like the kind of the low budget horror movies type of stuff. I figured I might need to give yeah, some of those it, a watch. It is low budget. It's a uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. That's kind of a uh, it's it's like a particular itch that I've developed in with film. You know that only only certain movies can really get at. And uh, I mean, yeah. Deadbeat at Dawn is not exactly a horror movie. It's more of an action movie. Okay. Um, but it's definitely very, very low budget, and that kind of leaks out in the yeah. aesthetic of it. But um, yeah, just a super simple story, almost a dumb story. Like, mm-hmm. not it's not one that's gonna leave you scratching your head. Um, it's very clear what is going on at every point in the movie. But um, I don't know, something about the execution of it just really strikes me as like, um, I don't know, it's it's just kind of hard to explain, but it's that certain feeling of like a person who's really giving it like 100% with with very few resources yeah, and managing just with their craft to pull together something that um, sort of transcends its limitations in a way. Yeah, and so it's really it was really it's a nice experience, and I've only seen it twice so far, but it definitely did not disappoint on the second viewing. So it has some sort of rewatcher value. Yeah, <laughs> although it yeah. Is, I'm still very new to it. Yeah, well, awesome. Um, well, first off, it, without diving into the main two films, I don't know how much you kind of caught up you or how much you were. I don't know if invested in the, is the right word, but in the whole uh, phenomena that went on last week with uh, Barbie Oppenheimer, this little double feature that people have been doing. I did some of a double feature. I, I had a little bit of time in between. Um, I want, I went ahead and watched Barbie first and th- I felt like get the light stuff out of the way. I wanted to let 
Oppenheimer sit with me because I felt like it would be that type of movie. I didn't really want to douse it with anything right, else. Yeah. Um, I did not wear pink to the theater. I don't know about you, uh, but I did not participate. I was in black. Okay, yeah, I, I was the same. I had like black shorts and like a dark green shirt on, but um, I wanted- They're, They are complimentary colors though. So yeah. I felt like I was still participating in the ritual of it. Yeah, my whole theater, my like, my whole theater was pink except for me. But it it was just it, my previewing my thoughts on Barbie, which I was not a big fan of. But we're gonna talk about that in a second. Um, regardless of my thoughts on either of these two films, I I had a great appreciation for last week just because it got people to go to the movies. It was just a great feeling on both occasions and uh, i got a little bit of this with mission impossible my both of my showings for mission impossible were packed i can't believe that was like a la last week that was like a week ago but now like that movie's almost out of the stratosphere in a way and it's like a big tom cruise movie but both of my showings for these two movies were packed i want to see oppenheimer again so i've been like looking at showings and they're all packed. And I wanted to get like, you know, some good middle seats this time. Cause last time I was at like a weird corner or whatever, but I, you know, I needed to get it done, oh, no. but it was, it was all good, but I wanted to find like a good middle seat, but all the showings for these movies have been packed. It was just a great weekend for movies. There was an excitement. There was a buzz whether I don't really have any social media. So the trend aspect of it wasn't really what I was paying attention to, but there was a event feeling and i don't feel like we got that since maybe like avengers endgame where like holy crap this is like an event and like a lot of people are gonna go see this movie and it felt big and movies haven't really felt like that in a long time so i was wondering just barbieheimer as a review what did you think about that week and that weekend as a whole um yeah well i think you i mean you calling out endgame is like i think that's really uh salient because um I think that was like the last big like weekend before this one, just on the straight economic side. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, it was definitely like a huge thing for the, for the theater industry, especially with all the strikes going on, which I don't really know anything about. Yeah. <laughs> I've just heard anecdotally that that's happening. So apparently, yeah. apparently it is. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know what else to say about the the weekend. It was definitely did feel like an event experience. It was interesting, kind of to like to take like a. It was almost like a sociological experiment to look mm -hmm. at the two different audiences <laughs> and um, the sort of demographics that showed up to each. I I don't know if I could really analyze those and yeah, give those really quick easy description of what those kinds of people were i don't want to generalize anyway but, <laughs> but regardless of that yeah. um yeah it was it was super fun for me too just mm -hmm. to like watch two two movies such different visions but you know ultimately united by a lot of certain themes so yeah and i feel like you know, I think we're going to talk a little bit about this with Oppenheimer, but, you know, this is Christopher Nolan's first movie outside of the Warner Brothers banner. And Warner Brothers seemed like it was kind of, which is, uh, which made Barbie, feels like it was kind of coming in almost to, like, counteract Nolan, almost, like, take away from Nolan in a way. Nolan had the, this release date before Barbie did, and then Barbie, like, oh, by the way, you know, the big IP film is going to, like, take away from Nolan. It was like an interesting little like power play there. 
by Warner Brothers that maybe you could analyze into. But what I thought was really interesting is while that might have been an attempt to take away from Oppenheimer, I think undoubtedly this Barbieheimer event has made more people watch Oppenheimer. I think Oppenheimer has benefited from this at box office wise, which it made 80 million last weekend, which is just, I mean, that's huge for uh, this three hour, I mean, drama, uh, this three hour long drama. And a lot of that has to do with Christopher Nolan being one of the last titans of this industry that can pull something off like that. I mean, I don't really, I mean, you could make the case. I, I don't think Scorsese is there, even though, Film fans may have that type of appreciation for him, but maybe you would disagree on that. I don't know if he has that Titan status where he can pull in those type of numbers and feel like it's a big event. So it's a really interesting thing to see one of the last Titans of filmmaking uh, on this role. We're going to talk a little about that later on, but I wanted to uh, talk about Barbie to, st- to start off the show. I think that's how we both, we both saw Barbie first. Um, yeah. I just wanted to ask first, a few things before we dive into the movie on this film. Uh, I think I texted you this, uh, but what were your expectations heading in? This movie ends up subverting, I think, what a lot of people thought it would be. You know, I think from the trail, the first trailer, I kind of thought, oh, you know, IP, kind of just a breezy comedy, uh, which ends up being a part of this movie. Uh, like that satirical comedy side, but it takes it, it goes in a very different direction, in my opinion, in the second hour. But what were your expectations heading into the movie? Uh, I, I didn't really expect much of anything. Like for for both of these movies, I really um, uh, I, I I don't know. I've been like sleeping in a lot, <laughs> like the past couple of months, and I had to like wake up a little earlier than usual to like get because we had early show times and mm-hmm. so I, I didn't really have any like the day of I didn't really have many thoughts at all going into either of these movies which I think is probably right. probably was really beneficial because I had a good experience um without any preconceptions mm-hmm. but um I, I think leading up to that weekend for Barbie I just expected something comedic but also to have some kind of message yeah about maybe materialism or maybe feminism or some right. some related idea um that w- they would use or Greta Gerwig I guess specifically would use this the um the symbol of Barbie to sort of explore but I didn't really know exactly what that was going to be so I was curious about that um and I guess we'll save the Oppenheimer uh, yeah for- well, I'm I I agree with you on a lot of those points. Just be, I think Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach being the script writers for this movie definitely for me set a different level of expectation. Just because as we got closer, you know, it's Greta Gerwig, she's got Lady Bird, she's got Little Women, two films that have been very well liked. She's definitely on the rise. I think I saw this week she's gonna make the chronicles and narnia movies i don't really know what i think about that yet but she's definitely on the rise and with her and no bomb and no bomb marriage story in 2019 was a you know big oscar nominated film very serious film not a lot of humor in that movie um 
but it made it gave me the expectation of okay, this movie's gonna maybe. I at first I was expecting okay, this maybe will maybe go down like a Pixar route, where one of the things I appreciate about yeah. Pixar is the the more mature sure themes. <laughs> yeah, well, for me, what I thought is that it, it definitely did go for some more mature themes, but it definitely is not like a Pixar content wise film. Like, I don't really feel like this movie's made for kids like at all. And I wouldn't want to take a kid to go see this movie. And I was wondering, like, I think there's definitely, I don't really know why I lean on this because I'm not going to say, oh, it's bad that Greta Gerwig made this movie that's not for kids. But it's definitely, like, weird, right? I mean, this is a kid's property. It's definitely a a topic that could be debated. I don't really have any particular, like, opinion on either direction, but it's certainly a debate to have. Uh, what were your feelings on just this, you know, kids IP? I mean, Barbie is a kid's toy. And while it's a old toy that a lot of adults, particularly women, have a lot of attachment to, it not being mm -hmm. for kids. And, like, I saw a couple kids in my screening. I was like, oh, like, what are you doing? Like, get your kids out of here. <laughs> I was like, this movie's not yeah, for yeah. them. And there's, like, some raunchy, uh, crude humor thrown in. Like, I would not want a kid to go see this movie, what were your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I think you kind of hit it on the head when you said that, you know, there are a lot of, like, older people who have, you know, young childhood memories of playing with these toys, and that movie is mostly directed towards them. Mm -hmm. um, so, but I do understand that it is, like, still, you know, about a toy that kids right. play with, and there were children at my showing also. Yeah. Uh, I don't... I, I think... I don't <laughs> can't remember specific instances of anything that I saw that I thought would be like very directly perceptible to a, a young child that they yeah. would also like that would somehow affect them um, or disturb them. But, you know, it's also hard to like put yourself in those shoes sometimes. So yeah. I, I don't know. Maybe maybe there was maybe there was something that mm -hmm. uh, was regrettable about it if you were taking your kid to it but yeah. i think it also depends on like how you raise your kids i don't i don't really right. know yeah no no i agree it definitely depends on uh what the parent thinks is right uh getting to the actual film what did you think about it just in general uh what were some of the standout stuff did you like it did you hate it what were your just kind of general thoughts on the movie uh i liked it um I thought, well, first, I mean, you, you probably agree with this, but for both of these movies, I feel like a first viewing is not really enough to like, to really dissect them because there's so much going on in both films that um, it's, I, I definitely came away more like overwhelmed by the amount of information contained in um, both stories more so than I came away with any like specific conclusions <laughs> from either. Mm. So I, I do feel like I need to rewatch both of these movies, maybe like two or three times to really unpack <laughs> everything that they're getting at. But with Barbie, I think generally I was surprised kind of with like the, um, the, the, the actual conclusion of the story, which is this ending where, you know, Barbie kind of, <laughs> I can't barely even take it seriously about what I'm saying. Barbie is a picture, <laughs> but you know, she she has to encounter this idea of like these sort of like like these two false worlds. You know, it's it's sort of like a dialectical story. Like you you open up with one world that's you know 
partly imaginary illusory there are lots of elements of it that don't line up with the world that we're actually in and then barbie goes over to the real world and the real world she encounters is really strange for us because it doesn't seem like the real world that we live in either and then at the end she kind of comes to this conclusion that which is what the audience is feeling the whole time which is these worlds are both so totally out of proportion to you know what our actual existence is like and she kind of like she chooses to step into that actual real world which we only really get to see very little of and it's kind of you know it's maybe a crude joke I don't know if it's really crude exactly you know it sort of may seem at first like kind of a lame joke ending but I think it really speaks to like kind of an, an acceptance of a reality that is somewhere in the middle between these two extreme poles of um, like views of the world that people actually do take on at, at least in um potentially like in, in in some form um so i don't know I, th I think overall i was pretty impressed by um like the the maturity of that argument because I, I i honestly did expect it to come out the the film generally to come out like on the side of barbie land or the side of this like real world that is also still very cartoonish i mean if you think about like the chase scene in the Mattel office, which the Mattel office is obviously, it's kind of like a bridge between the two worlds in a way, you know, it's right. like the place, it's like the dream factory. So it is, it has some dream elements to it, but I think it, it, placing it still in the real world kind of points to the idea that this real world that has a Mattel that is like this, that creates this dream world is, uh, you know, it's, it's pointing to some more than, uh natural elements yeah. of that world too so i, I don't know I, I i thought it was interesting that neither of those worlds were really like accepted uh, carte blanche or, or completely as like an answer to any of the questions of the many many questions that are raised by the film which yeah. <laughs> they are many many questions and most of them are not as far as i could tell directly answered um, yeah or even attempted um, many of the answers aren't even attempted but so what did what do what do you think overall about like the 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 message of the story and how successful it was in in that Yeah so going in I really I expected for the film to tackle some things like feminism and I heard the term patriarchy and other big words right were thrown around a lot in this movie and it's very odd how like this movie just like throws these like big words out and it's like like characters are giving like speech speeches and lectures to one another and so i was like i was almost like is this like the dialogue of the movie and it actually kind of ends up being like how these characters talk to each other and, and that's a separate conversation but mm. my interpretation of like what this movie is going to be about i expected for it to you know go into some things i may disagree with personally and so, you know, I tried to set those things aside and just kind of look at the film from an objective spot. And I really enjoyed, I'll say, the first 20 to 30 minutes of this movie. Like, I was like, I'm really liking this. I'm liking the the comedy. The performances are, are good. And obviously, Ryan Gosling's been talked about a lot, being a scene stealer. He is a really funny, uh, he gives a really funny performance in this movie. And it's interesting to see where his, like, career trajectory has gone. But I think he's really good in this movie. And I I don't say I'm like, I'm not going to like nominate him. But when people do say that, I am I understand. I mean, he is really funny. He is really good in this movie. Um, 
once we enter the real world though things start to take a turn for me where i'm where i'm not compl- i don't instantly like turn off against the movie but i'm kind of like beginning to feel like okay things are taking a bit of a shift and now we got to get to the more serious stuff all right so let's dive into the drama and i ended up really disliking the direction that this movie went in the second half and i put uh feelings on what this movie tackles aside which i i do very much disagree with but i'm not really gonna i'm not really gonna dive into all that a whole lot but really what i feel like this movie does that i just don't really get is this whole second half and the storylines and the character arcs and maybe i'm missing something here and i did my review on letterbox for this and i was and i kind of like put at the end like what am i missing here like this movie's gotten a lot of love it's got a high rating critics love this movie fans love this movie don't really see that a whole lot but critics love it fans love it so i'm i was kind of just sitting here with like a where like especially as time has gone on and i've really like tossed and turned with this movie like what kind of went wrong for me here where Noah Baumbach and Greta Gerwig before I'd watched this movie, I'd have said like, these are like arguably two of the most uh, on the rise or no Baumbach, not necessarily, but Greta Gerwig definitely on the rise, like screenplay writers. And now I'm, I was kind of just taken aback by, I'll, I'll, I'll use the B word here, how bad the writing felt to me in the second half where, character arcs and the story are like resolved in like these big monologues given to each other margot robbie's got one america ferrera or uh, ferrera has one of these and she has a lot of them actually these just big monologues where like i said earlier uh you know feminism patriarchy toxic masculinity all of these themes Greta Gerwig is going for so much in this movie and I just really would have liked for her to have taken a bit of a step back here this movie really feels to me like it's just this big compilation of all of these like inner feminist dialogues and it's this like big burst of a two hours where it's not really like the movie's even trying to uh help you understand or convert you or anything like that it's really like for of the other women out there like ladies <laughs> like this is you know what i'm saying and, and, and that's kind of how this whole second half came up to me and i felt like the whole like what greta gerg was going for is just like the audience to have like a yes i feel the same thing type of reaction and i understand that and maybe i'm i am a male 16 year old I'm not the demographic for this movie. I understand that, but I just felt felt like the writing to me took such a dive in the second half where I was re- I by the when we had like 30 minutes left in the movie, I was about ready for it to wrap up. Ryan Gosling is still funny in the second half, but every other aspect of this movie was just really starting to grate on me. And the more I've thought back on it, and I'm like trying to figure out did I miss something like Am I looking at the movie the wrong way? I just really came to the conclusion that I didn't like the script. I don't feel like this second half works at all. I don't like that the writers just decided for these monologues to somehow 
build like to have like a character arc that it, it nothing really felt like we had come to like a natural conclusion where oh of course this is where margot this is this makes sense for it to be margot robbie's decision i felt like that was a decision she could make but i didn't feel like this feels right because i didn't love how these monologues had kind of built up to being like a well done character arc i didn't really feel that way personally and i don't and I also look at so many other aspects of this movie, and I'm kind of thinking, like, why is Michael Sarah like, feel like he's going to do something in the third act of this movie, and then he just doesn't? He has no character arc. He's just kind of the same. And then Will Ferrell, what is Will Ferrell doing in this movie? He literally starts off as the villain, and by the end, he's not even really the villain. It, like, this movie has, like, a villain shift, like, halfway through. And... Ryan Gosling is second billing on this movie, and that makes him like a character that this movie needs to do justice to. Other than Margot Robbie, they still have to give these character arcs. I just kind of felt like Greta Gerwig and Obama just like slid Ryan Gosling aside and was like, "You just keep being funny, and Margot Robbie's going to talk to you, and she's going to make you feel better, but we're just going to move you over to the side." I didn't really feel like Ryan Gosling's character actually had any good you know, arc necessarily. And I kind of felt that way about the entire film where it just kind of started taking this dive for me. And as the, as time has gone on, as I've reflected about it, it's really soured on me. Uh, I, I feel bad because I see a lot of people have really enjoyed this movie and I appreciate hearing some of the things that you liked about the movie. And the thing is this movie, if it was, if this was a kid's film and it was doing these things and I could maybe take the approach of, you know, it's a kid's film kids films make mistakes okay like I, i'll give a kid some passes that i won't give like and like in a more adult film and this is an adult film this is not a kid's film so i'm ta i'm taking it at these levels of okay this movie wants to have a serious conversation about toxic masculinity femininity a patriarchy all that stuff and none of those i think you kind of mentioned it earlier but none of those questions that greta gurik asks I don't think I missed anything, quite frankly. I just don't think she answers them very well. I don't think she gives right answers. And Greta Gurick, like I said earlier, is somebody that I have a lot of respect for post-Little Women. That's the only film of hers that I've seen. I, I want to see Lady Bird. I haven't gotten to that movie yet. Uh, but I thought Little Women was really well done. I thought she did the themes of that movie really well. So I was kind of just taken aback. Like, why is the biggest problem that I'm having with this movie the script? Where That's where I was like hoping this movie would have its backbone. It, it ends up feeling yeah. really messy to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I get what you're saying. I, I think there is definitely some, I, like, I understand that reaction. Um, as far as, like, the, the, those questions of patriarchy and femininity, toxic masculinity, these sort of, like, um, like cultural touchstones of, you know, very loaded terms, um, dealing with these but not directly addressing them in the end or answering them like you're saying in like a satisfactory way i think it was part of for me i i perceived it as part of like this attempt to satirize the like extremity of the discourse today around mm -hmm. gender and like how um like the whole idea of ken finding out about patriarchy in the real world and sort of misunderstanding what is you know like taking sort of this extreme view that some people take of patriarchy like 
you know, the scene where he can't perform a, an operation because he's not a qualified doctor, even though he's a man. You know, someone could initially say that patriarchy is, you know, points to some sort of reality where men can just do whatever they want and women can't. And men don't need to be qualified. They just need to be men. This is an extreme view of patriarchy that is obviously super, you know, it's just absurd to think about it. But I think in the end, what Greta Gerwig is trying to say is that these, there, there is, a, oh, I heard it put really well the other day where it's like, there's a lot of difficulty in being a man. There's a lot of difficulty in being a woman. But a lot of times the the origin of these difficulties is just in like being. Like mm -hmm. being a person in a body, being a person in a context with all these expectations or, um, you know, or goals that are kind of given to you by people and you're kind of you're, you're sitting there as a, as a person you're thinking why why these goals you know why these goals for me why other goals for other people what what are this what is this based on it's my body why my body what's you know what is it mm -hmm. about my body that makes me have to do this instead of this or be this way instead of that way and i think to to use any of these terms to patriarchy feminism to up uh, to go too far that is into like any of those specific narratives around gender is to kind of miss the sort of unifying like ennui or like angst of just like that it sort of underlines them yeah and i think that's kind of the conclusion that they come to at the end of the, or that barbie comes to at the end of the movie you know she's saying like i don't really i don't really feel like i belong in this dreamland where women are totally in charge of everything and you know the men are just sort of like you know they just got their first seat on the council or whatever i i want to just be i want to be a real person i don't want to be this overly i don't want to live in an overly simplified world where these questions have easy answers i want to live in the world that I, where I have agency over my decisions and that where I can interpret, you know, where I want to be feminine and where I want to be masculine or, or what have you, know, or what I want to do with my life. And I think, I, I think overall, it's a pretty measured view of gender in a, in a time when our, I don't know if it's too extreme to say our culture has kind of like lost their minds collectively it you might know, be a little fair. Sort of <laughs> yeah. What, what was that? I said it might be a little fair. <laughs> oh, okay. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. We'll, let's just go with that. We'll just say yeah. we've collectively lost our minds and are unable to have like any sort of reasoned discourse around these topics because they are so emotionally charged for a lot of people. Yeah. And this extends to like a lot of other things. Like I think the movie touches on abortion in a pretty dramatic way in the opening scene when you have a visual of a young girl taking a baby doll and smashing like literally smashing it you know against yeah. another baby doll and both dolls shattering it's like our our culture has a lot of things that we don't want to face that are yeah. going on and it was i felt like it was an important thing for a movie to at least you know reflect back to us what our problems are and what problems we don't yet have like a consensus on that yeah. um you know and and also to offer sort of uh at least an attitude that we could embody which is mm -hmm. to try to understand 
where everyone is coming from on these issues. And uh, that, like, that's the only way that we can find a solution to these questions, which you're right, the movie doesn't exactly offer. But I think right. <laughs> I think that would be asking too much. I think if it did pr produce those answers, they would be unsatisfactory because we haven't yeah. done the work yet as as a culture to answer those questions. So the films that are about us can't give can't kind of like project those answers back to us yet they're mm -hmm. not even like they're not even like percolating enough in like the psychic future for the for the films to predict you know to draw them out from that space and kind of like give them to us early as like this you know little prophetic gift which i think stories can sometimes do but we're not mm -hmm. even like close enough to that yet for that right. to happen with a movie like this but so i don't know i i, I definitely see we're like a lot of the the ways that these themes are treated can be unsatisfactory, and and I get that, but I I don't I don't think overall the the film was lazy in like fall just falling into certain tropes or falling back on like easy answers that might satisfy you know part of the audience and then really anger the other part of the audience. I don't really think that the movie did that, although I do see that some people are reacting as if it did, you know, which I I, I don't quite understand yeah but i think i think because some people expected to feel a certain way coming out of the movie it could have affected how they experienced it and i think you could experience that movie many many different ways yeah so i i don't i don't know so what like what is the the right way to view it? and maybe yeah. i'm totally wrong about the film's goals even <laughs> and yeah. or, but that's just the way i saw it so well, yeah, um, well, I think the movie has people very, you know, some people that I mean, I guess I'd probably go in that camp of split. I didn't have an angry reaction walking out of the movie. I was just kind of like perplexed and a little frustrated, but wanting to kind of unpack it all. And I was happy that I had like a few more hours until I walked in Oppenheimer because so I can kind of think about what the movie is trying to get at. And I think people can reach their own conclusions. And I appreciate your perspective on it. And I think that's a a, a take that I didn't have. Um and I just want to say, like, the second half of this movie doesn't work for me. I end up not really enjoying the film, but there is still a, a lot about this movie that I did really like. I think the set design and cinematography, particularly in, like, the Barbie world, the technical aspects of that stuff is really good. And, like, the, the set you know, feels real. And I liked – I saw this clip of Greta Gerwig explaining the decision to make the film digital where she's typically used film in the past – to go for that like uh plasticity feel. I don't know if I've said that word right, but you get what I'm saying. And I thought that that was a yeah. really good reason to use digital where normally I would always pick film over digital. And I think our next movie show highlights a lot of those reasons why, but I like the decision by her to go digital. Cause I think this movie looks really good. Um, I, I enjoyed uh, hearing your sec, your uh, other perspective on it. Uh, I appreciate that other people are liking it as well. Um, but yeah, uh, I think that's enough for, for that movie. Uh, I'm sure we're going to dive into a lot on Oppenheimer. Uh, so we're going to be uh, right back. We're going to get into that movie. All right, here we go. Let's get into it. The main event. People have been calling it, Patrick. Is this the most important movie of the century? We're going to get into it. The narrative has been out there. We're going to talk a what? lot about it. <laughs> maybe not that. Maybe it's not the case, but we're going to talk about it. Oppenheimer. Same, same, same similar line of questioning that I have for you at the beginning. I want to talk about, I mean, 
with every Christopher Nolan movie, I feel like, like maybe except for The Dark Knight, Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan is like the figurehead. Like I think when it comes back to his movies, it's he is almost always like the narrative of discussion because uh, he is one of those kind of you know controlling directors who's who you can feel Nolan's style in every movie and it's and he's one of the like I said at the top of the show one of the last titans I would say that we have as a director right now where his name is uh, for a lot of people enough to get them to go watch the movie um what are your opinions on Nolan and his recent run where some people have said since Dark Knight he's been kind of up and down Patrick Tennant wasn't that good Interstellar had that weird emotional stuff Dunkirk was weird I disagree with those takes personally I am a big Christopher Nolan fan that's been out there on the show he's my favorite uh director working today uh probably the first director I really like got attached to and like this is a Christopher Nolan movie I want to see that and like went back and watched all his films so he's like that first like pivotal director for me The Dark Knight one of my favorite films of all time Inception one of my favorites of all time but his filmography to me even recently is fascinating and I get how it's been divisive I understand the people that don't hate it and Hathaway, it's all about love stuff in Interstellar. Maybe that was a little weird. And I understand that, even though I disagree, but I, I understand that take. And then the tenant naysayers, I also understand, even though I personally love that movie. And I think it's one of the more fascinating and just like really interesting movies to come out in the past five years. It's mm-hmm. a movie that I really appreciate it, but I understand why others don't. Nolan hasn't had a bad film, in my opinion, but what are your opinions on him recently and in him as a whole, as a director? Well, Christopher Nolan is one of those filmmakers. <laughs> he's one of he's one of those filmmaker guys, mm. kind of like uh, Stanley Kubrick or Steven Spielberg, yeah, or Martin Scorsese, or Tarantino. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Or, or like Tarantino or like Robert Altman or yeah. Billy Wilder or you know, like he's just um Orson Welles he, he's one of those directors that is kind of like hard to really avoid like yeah I don't know I think like just what he's what he's done with his career so far has changed how people watch movies yeah somehow maybe i don't even know why i made that claim that's kind of I don't, well i mean the maybe dark that's not Knight, true at all i mean the dark knight has got to be i mean that's a top five most important movies this century so far right i mean yeah i think dark in terms Knight, of impact, Inse- definitely. you could put in I, this is a harder take to make but i mean inception that spinning top at the end of that movie, I mean, people are still talking about that. And he gets, I mean, he was getting questions about, I watched so many, I, I'm going to say, I was hyped going in. I might have, you know, taken up a few notches. I might have watched a lot of interviews with Christopher Nolan. You know, the actor strike has been going on, which, you know, 
sympathy for the actors, sympathy for the writers, but I got a lot more Christopher Nolan uh, interviews to watch because of that, because he did all the press for the movie, which is cool with me. I'm fine taking uh, director interviews over actor interviews. That's just my taste. Yeah. But I, he got asked a, a question about Inception and he always gives like the best answers to it. And he has like one of those, he has one of those, like kind of like what you were talking about, like almost a mystique about him too, where like, we don't really know a whole lot about, about him. He doesn't have like any social media. He has like a flip phone or something like that. Like he keeps it off the grid and he'll like, we haven't heard anything about Christopher Nolan since Tenet. Like he hasn't said anything like it, but now he's back and he's making this movie and people are interested in this big, you know, three hour long drama about, like some people don't even know who this guy is. I do. And that's, that was kind of my next question is like what you're familiar with, with, you know, this piece of history that is very important, but that, you know, today's in today's age, people aren't really that familiar with, unfortunately, which is, you know, kind of a testament to where the world is at today. But I mean, this is a very important part of our history. It's still important. And, it feels like it's a perfect story for Christopher Nolan to tackle, but what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, well, I mean, I mean, first of all, like I, the thing about like Nolan and these directors and talking about it's like, yeah, I, I think what I was trying to get maybe it's not that they changed the way we watch movies, but it's he's one of those directors that seems to know too much about us. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Like, yeah, he he always tells us. He he's always he he has some sort sort of insight into human nature, which and I think he gets a lot of criticism for having like sort of a, an unemotional like a, a sort of some sort of disconnect. Do you agree? That with I that? think it's just because. What's up? Do you agree with that? Uh, I I think I I understand the critique, but I think honestly. What, what people don't realize it has less to do with his storytelling ability and more to do with his visual style. His visual yeah. style is just so my words are going to start failing me here, but it's, it's so clinical almost. And, yeah. and it's extremely, it's very much designed to put you it's it, to overwhelm your senses and put you in this sort of like puzzle box state where you're trying to like find your way through the movie and, you have to think about it, um, which some movies don't don't make you do that. Um, but as far as like the story of Oppenheimer, um, I mean, yeah, honestly, I I might fall more into the camp of like someone who wasn't super familiar with the story. I only knew him as the guy who said, "Now, you know, I who quoted Shiva, and now yeah. I have become Death Destroyer of Worlds," and I knew he was uh, the the father of the atom bomb right. or what have you, but I didn't really know anything about how that came about. I mean, I knew like the Manhattan project mm-hmm. generally happened and it generally happened in the desert somewhere in the U S yeah. you know, in the Southwest, but I didn't really know anything about the, the story or I, and I wasn't really, I didn't really pay a close attention to like Einstein's proximity to the whole thing that, you know, the fact that yeah. he was, sort of involved but also specifically left out of the process Mm -hmm. there are a lot of details that i was very oblivious to um but yeah i mean i i kind of i kind of knew when i heard that this movie was going to be made in in those vague terms 
who that guy was. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, shit. Yeah, I mean, general knowledge. Like, I heard some people say, like, I thought Einstein made the atom bomb or something. I was like, come on now. Like, that that's a little, that's a bit of a stretch. But anyway, like, I mean, <laughs> some people don't even know. Like, I don't know if they could have made the atom bomb without Einstein. But yeah, true, that, true. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that it's. I've been, I've kind of teased it a little bit, but I mean, this feels, you know, uh, Nolan is one of the few directors that could that can like Nolan and Lynch are one of the few that can draw like the pretentious side out of me where I go like, is this like the last breath of cinema or something like that? You know, I I I, I try and keep those uh levels in check, but this this movie feels like an event because of Nolan. And I feel like that's something that we don't see a whole lot of. I, you know, I'm a uh, big Tarantino fan. So, like, when he makes his last movie, that's going to be an event for me. A Fincher mm-hmm. movie's an event. But, I mean, it feels like as a collective, um, Nolan commands a respect. Uh, he has, I mean, this movie is a $100 million three-hour-long drama. I mean, Nolan is one of the only direct, I, maybe the only director, unless your name's like James Cameron or, George Lucas, if he ever came back to like say, Hey, I want this budget and I'm going to make this two hour long drop. And the guy who made the atomic bomb, who some people aren't, who don't even know, and you're going to give it to me. And they got it. And it looks like it's going to pan out for him with the very successful opening weekend. I was so worried this movie was going to bomb. It doesn't look like it's going to. I'm very thankful for that. Uh huh. Yeah, no, yeah, no, fun kind of intended there. Um, but yeah, it's it's very cool to see that this movie is doing well. Um, but let's let's get into the actual film. Um, we'll give like some brief thoughts, and then you know, kind of how we do it, we go a little bit in a chronological order and bring stuff in as we go along. Um, uh, but just like right off the bat, what were your thoughts on this movie? Uh, take it away. Um. Well, I, I guess to to go back to the the what your question about the the, the critique of like um, sort of uh, emotional lack in Nolan's film, I think I think this movie for me just sort of like flew very most directly in the face of that yeah. opinion. Um, it's basically all emotion. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which it, you know is. Um, not some something that most people would say about Inception or a, a lot of other uh, Nolan movies. Although, the, although I don't think those movies are completely unemotional. Yeah. Um, but this one just has such a punch, um, and it really just kind of leaves you almost drained. Like I almost started thinking that this was like a, not a very good movie just because of how <laughs> like, the mor- <laughs> like there was something morally reprehensible about making a movie like this just because of how like. Uh, emotionally drained you can you you, you may find yourself after mm-hmm. after watching it but um i think overall that that does speak to good filmmaking and i'm excited to get into it so what, what were your what were your overall thoughts yeah i mean brief brief thoughts just because there's so much to dive into here but i mean i'm with you this is a a gut punch unlike i've had with a movie recently and just in general in a very long time and this movie made me feel and i think a lot of that has to do with the imax how great nolan is behind the camera uh and in that theater experience which is just i mean that is the way to see his movies without a doubt i was able to get the imax experience and even though i wasn't dead center like i always like to be 
I like had a really incredible theater experience, regardless of where I was sitting. It was just an awesome, awesome experience. Um, just as a technical marvel, this movie's an achievement. I mean, just the, I mean, obviously the the black and white IMAX camera is, uh, like as first I was like, oh okay, you know, black and white. Uh, this is a beautiful when when this movie goes black and white, it's beautiful. Like I can't get over just like. Killing Murphy and Robert Downey Jr. walking to go see Albert Einstein and it looks awesome. And like it's I'm like so invested in the dialogue. And this is, in my opinion, and I I want to see the movie again to have some like clearer thoughts because like so many superlatives came to mind immediately after watching the movie. Cause I, I can get that way. I try to, you know, keep that in check. But I mean, to me, this is without a doubt Nolan's best script. I mean, this is very social network esque in how brisk, you know, or and how uh not brisk, uh, clean the dialogue is. The banter back and forth. Some of the scenes with Matt Damon and Killian Murphy are great. Uh, the opening when they meet each other is great. The conversations between, uh, like when they're around that table and they're moving the the flowers around and all that stuff and having that like really tense conversation. I think a lot of people like scoff, like, oh, this is an IMAX film, but it's just going to be people sitting in rooms. This movie feels so much more than that in the, in the way that Nolan is able to use that IMAX camera. Uh, Hoyta Van Hoytema's cinematography just, I mean, really, is like he is approaching that like must-watch cinematographer level. For me personally, I in anticipation of this, I watched uh, a movie I'd wanted to see for a while, Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy with Gary Oldman. I ended up not really liking it, but I loved his cinematography. He did Dunkirk and uh, Tenet as well. He's just a fantastic cinematographer. He did, he kills it here. Kills it. This movie's an experience. It's uh, unlike any of that I've had in a theater personally. It, the gut punch that you were uh, talking about earlier. Uh, we're going to talk when as we approach the end of the episode, we'll talk about that final scene. But man, like that cut me like deep and just like, man goosebumps chills like my dad was like ready to go but i was like man let me sit here for a minute because like that was a lot uh i love this movie though i i think it's in that conversation for nolan's best but we're gonna get into it uh i think with any any director kind of like how you were talking about those like directors that like instantly like spring to mind as like maybe an all-time great or like a kubrick and altman something like that Something about those directors that I think is always very telling is what the opening shot of the movie is. And the opening shot of Oppenheimer is him looking, Kelly Murphy, Oppenheimer, at the this, uh, I think it's like a puddle or something, those raindrops falling. And uh, the score instantly kicks in. We're going to talk about the score, but it's a beautiful opening shot, but it hints so much, I think, to what the movie's about falling you think about bombs falling you think about this pool of that Oppenheimer kind of gets lost in in the end that's kind of how it feels at the end of this movie where he is such a pivotal part of the first two acts of this movie but once the third act which you know I think a lot of people have criticized we're going to talk about that but I think there's a lot in that third act that I personally really like and it's him just kind of getting lost in the shuffle and him being pushed away and kind of falling in this pool, this like working machine of American politics and bureaucracy and the scene with Truman, all that stuff is, a, is almost a hint towards that. The movie's going to end 
with him looking at um a pond and the and the a light sprinkle of rain falling. It's a it's a very uh, I think a telling opening scene for the movie. Uh, but I think it speaks a lot to what the movie's about. Yeah, yeah, I think he, yeah, that's true. Um, and and the, we also get the first close up of Killian Murphy's face, which yeah. I think is man. Um, I think the the way he's treated in close ups throughout the movie kind of distinguishes him in a certain way, gives him a certain aura that's uh, a big part of his character. Yeah, that opening shot was, uh, you know, felt felt like you were right in it. Yeah, I mean, you you speak about the uh, Killian Murphy face, and it, and the movie goes back to it so many times, and it's just this. I mean, Killian Murphy is incredible in, uh, in this movie. Definitely going for that. You know, we'll talk about it probably later, but I mean, award season comes around. If this guy's not nominated, I don't know what we're doing. But uh, he, I've always been a a Killian Murphy fan. Uh, I just started Peaky Blinders a couple weeks ago, uh, but in everything he's been in, he's always made an impression, and it's awesome to see the spotlight finally shown on him here with this movie. I mean, this is uh, watching the uh, the press for the movie and hearing his co-star speak on Robert Downey Jr. in particular uh, was just really complimentary on how incredible he thought this performance was and the work that uh, Kim Murphy put into it, which, I mean... It shows on screen. I think it's an incredible performance and people are kind of throwing around like, oh yeah, it's a great performance. It'll probably get nominated. But like, this is a, one of the best performances I've seen in a while. It's a different type of performance where he's not dominating every scene. Like you would typically think of a best supporting actor or not best supporting, a best leading actor uh, to get or something like that, where it's almost always about dominating the screen. He doesn't really take that approach but he gives a very different type of performance than what I'm used to with uh, biopics in general, which is a genre that I think a lot of people are critical of. He gives a very different type of performance. I, I, he, I lose him with the movie, and he just kind of becomes Oppenheimer. He's just with the body posture, the facial acting. It's really an incredible performance. Yeah, yeah, dude, I agree. Uh, I think it's really good. Um. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. Yeah. Well, I mean, we start off the movie with him. I, I was I like how Nolan has structured the movie, how he's edited it with this, you know, we have kind of I don't know, three main storylines that we follow that we cut back and forth in between. We start in like this kind of a trial setting with uh Oppenheimer in an older age getting interviewed or not or kind of interrogated really in this uh in this trial of sorts with uh, Jason Clark kind of being the leading antagonist in these scenes. And I've, I've not been a really big Jason Clark fan. I thought he crushed it in every scene he was in. This whole cast obviously is just stacked and a testament to how many people want to work with Nolan. But I mean, he does a great job in every scene, but I I've, we start off here and that kind of segues us into the him at like a younger age where we see him studying at Oxford uh, which sets up sets up the Kenneth Branagh and the whole like first like thirty minutes or so of the movie feel like Nolan setting up almost this like team of scientists that is going to be brought back often. Kenneth Branagh is Niles Bohr, Heisenberg, 
uh, Robert Serber, all these different scientists in this community that Nolan is building to set the stage for where things are going to go later on in the movie. It doesn't seem like when I say that, it's like, okay, he's building up scientists, but like it's a really interesting way that Nolan like world builds here and introduces these characters. I really feel like that's the purpose that this first 30 minute sells. Yeah, yeah, I think it, it introduces a lot of characters and it gets us started on our journey into uh, the mind of the main character. And I, I think it was really cool how he begins that process by giving us just these sort of overwhelming flashes of insight like direct yeah. directly into um sort of the 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 world that Oppenheimer is seeing into that other people aren't which is why which is kind of what sets him apart mm -hmm. from other scientists they has this very almost in, intuitive view of the subatomic world it seems like um yeah so yeah I, I thought it was a really good introduction and it, it also set the tone for like how much detail we can get into oh, like, yeah. the the science of it because it's really it's really there's not much i mean there there was definitely more than than i could um directly understand not having yeah. really any expertise in the field at all <laughs> but um <laughs> but it was really not the main focus of the film and it it yeah. it, it, it was clear in the first act that no one was going to use these ideas to sort of frame the characters um isolation almost from other people or the or to try and explain at least in part why he becomes such an entitled and <laughs> almost unlikable character at times so yeah and, and introduce and sort of motivate a more complicated character than it can it could otherwise have been yeah, I mean, I've heard the criticism that these first 30 minutes aren't the most engaging. I certainly, like, wasn't sitting there thinking, like, okay, why am I not, like, riveted by everything I'm seeing here? But I was still, like, the theater experience itself and the score uh, by uh, Ludwig Gorenson, who did uh, the Mandalorian soundtrack, which I like, even though I'm not a big Mandalorian fan. I still really like that soundtrack. The Tenet soundtrack was great. I'm a big Hans Zimmer fan, but quite frankly, I'm not really missing him here. This is a masterpiece of the score. I've gone, I've must have listened to it like I must have gone through this like at least six times. Like it's incredible. It's like in probably an instant, like top five for me. Like it's it feels groundbreaking. The 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 noises that he brings in. I was like, what is that? Like, what's he using for that? And it's constant through this movie. I think there may be like three minutes of no score. But I really don't care. It's the it is almost the heartbeat of the movie. It is the current that is reliable through all these different narratives that Nolan is going through. This score is the heartbeat constantly, whether we're with Strauss or whether with Oppenheimer. This is the constant flow. It's an incredible piece of a masterpiece that he's created. And I think it's fantastic. But like when we get into those scenes where, you know, we kick things off and he's kind of uh, electric tries to poison his teacher at the apple. And then we had that scene of him going back and him meeting Kenneth Branagh. Um, and then kind of we get one of the many great lines that Nolan brings in. Can you uh, uh, 
feel the music or whatever. I think that's what that was the line it was. But uh, can you feel the music, which is one of the many lines that sticks out in the movie. And it kind of kicks off this like series of studying that Oppenheimer goes through to lead into this teaching at Berkeley. And I, the dialogue, as I mentioned, is some of the ones best. The banter between Oppenheimer and Jason Clark, where Clark's like, why were you, you were in Europe. But Berkeley is one of the best uh, facilities here in the U.S. But he's but Oppenheimer's like, yeah, only because I made it that way. I thought that was a great little line there. Uh, but seeing him through his studies and the music uh, and the, you know, like you mentioned, the flashes of like atoms or like whatever we're seeing, the, like the energy that we that we flash to all the time, this kind of like look into this tortured mind that we're getting a look at here where the movie doesn't really draw like the, I I think Nolan understands Oppenheimer in every scene, but he feels like such a I don't, I don't know if, like it doesn't ever feel like we are we always know what's going on in Oppenheimer's head, but that's kind of like what makes the movie part of what it is. But we kind of get it we get through these moments what his mind must be like and why like when we go to that scene of him going to meet Einstein which will be the end scene of the movie but you understand why Nolan chose to bring Einstein into this movie because Einstein's one of those guys that has that you know that tortured kind of probably that tortured mind of just like this incredible burden of genius and that's part of what is so incredible about the facial acting of Kelly Murphy is you that burden always comes through in the end it always it, you see that in his eyes you see that in particularly in the last hour of the movie it just the the weight of what he's done is such a burden on him and it's part of what I think like you said earlier those energy like flashes introduce uh which I think adds a whole lot to the movie in general but um we start to introduce the idea in the trial sequences of the uh, of Oppenheimer's involvement in the Communist Party. And this is where we meet Florence Pugh, who introduces the two R-rated scenes of the movie. Uh, I want to talk about those scenes in particular because they've been uh, a bit of a, a, a debate, uh, I think, between some critics of the movie as to whether those scenes were necessary, what they add. This is a three-hour-long movie. People are like, cut it down, cut it down. I think this is personally one of the best pieces of editing uh, by Jennifer Lane that you know I've seen this year. This movie moves at such a fast pace, and you mentioned how much it throws at you, and you may feel like this isn't needed, but I feel like there is a meaning to these scenes, but I was wondering what your take on that was and the uh, Oppenheimer, the, that kind of story introduction of his involvement in the Communist Party. Um, yeah, I, th I think I think those scenes are necessary. I guess you could. Uh, <laughs> there's no one certainly thought they were necessary, and yeah. um, I think he he's the one that we should trust. Um, and ain't no one we trust. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think they were pretty tasteful. I don't think there were there was anything like vulgar or uh, demeaning or lowbrow yeah. about about those scenes. Um, I think, uh, you know, he Robert Oppenheimer was a womanizer. That's an important part of his actual historically recorded personality. Right. Um, and, and you can't, I think if you avoid that part of him, then you will 
miss a certain nuance to him. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it speaks a lot to a certain kind of, um, like, connection that he needed uh, that maybe he was less able to um, to find in other in other places or to satisfy because he had some like you were saying some burden of genius about yeah I, I'm a little skeptical about that but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but but generally yeah I, I mean I think they were pretty well executed scenes I think Florence Pugh definitely holds her own against this sort of monolithic figure that Murphy is uh, and it it was used to great effect later on when he had that the the nude scene in the interrogation which yeah. has many more layers of meaning than just a straight up sex scene right but, um those are certainly um nothing new in the history of cinema first of all i think it's pretty yeah. ridiculous that we still have like controversy whether real yeah. or just um sort of drummed up for publicity over you know actresses specifically going nude there doesn't seem to be as much um drama when actors you know show a little a little booty a little tna or <laughs> what have you um so I don't, I don't know seems like a bit of a double standard and i don't, yeah. I don't really think this this film crosses any new boundaries <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I feel like the significance, at least what I got, I think many people kind of in different interpretations of why these scenes are important. It's whether, you know, I think obviously Oppenheimer being a womanizer is an important part of his character, or at least it's a part that Nolan felt needed to be in the movie. And I think it makes sense, particularly in his relationship to Emily Blunt and kind of the mystery behind that relationship in a way when we get to the third act and what exactly the relationship 100% is, is kind of still left a little bit in uh, a little shrouded in mystery for me, at least on my first viewing. Maybe I'll get more of it when I see it a second time. But one of the things I really took out of this is this is where we get that I am become death, destroyer worlds line. And yes. that is like you mentioned earlier is such an, uh, when we were first talking about the movie, such an important or such one of the more famous uh lines you know that came from Oppenheimer that he quoted later in his life talking about mm -hmm. that atomic bomb uh people were aware of that line going in um so I was interested in seeing like that was obviously something Nolan was going to implement in the movie and to have it in a sex scene feels very metaphorical death in the process yeah. of you know making life but also part of the significance of Florence Pugh is that in a way, in the Oppenheimer way, I guess, if that makes any sense, she is almost his first victim of her, the the weight of her death almost still, when we go to the Trinity test, is still something in her mind. We see the hair in the bathtub after like a kind of hinting back to her uh, suicide uh, by bathtub, uh, by drowning. But it is a weight that's on Oppenheimer in a, in a couple scenes. And I feel like Nolan goes back to that because of this kind of guilt complex that Oppenheimer has developed of this, you know, guilt that he'll have in the third act over creating the atomic bombs. Now, I don't really feel like Oppenheimer is responsible for Florence Pugh's suicide. She appears to be pretty mentally ill 
right off the bat and in a few more scenes where Oppenheimer, I was kind of expecting for him to be this very like socially awkward guy, but he's or like just completely ignorant of social, like how to communicate with people. But he actually is like a team leader and it seems to handle these awkward situations with Florence P like her mental uh, unstableness pretty well. Uh, so I, I don't I never really took that it was his responsibility, but I feel like it's something that weighs on him. And I feel like the, the way that ties in later to the movie, to me, brings a, a somewhat of an importance. And I, I think Florence Pugh does a great job uh, in this movie for what little time that that she is on screen. And I feel like the way that they bring the I Become Death line back around when we get to the Trinity test is a really well done way just in how it's introduced in this scene. Uh, I really enjoy all the scenes of them, of Oppenheimer kind of in kind of almost flirting with the communist party. It's, I feel like what's important about these scenes is it shows Oppenheimer's desire to be a part of something, him kind of learning or kind of, learning about like what the communist party's ideals are or being well versed on them and getting involved in that community being a part of like something important even though he's not exactly a member but he's interested in those ideas and it shows to me early signs of Oppenheimer wanting to be a part of history and why he was already going to be what we see from these scenes at Berkeley he's a great teacher he like I don't think this movie really touches upon it, but he's like the first guy who like thought of black holes before we had telescopes to like discover them or whatever. He was like the first guy that came up with that. He was already a groundbreaking uh, scientist or physicist, whatever. He was already a Titan of that sphere. But when he gets offered by Matt Damon in a, in a great opening scene for Matt Damon's character and the another example of the dialogue being so sharp is the way the reason he takes this is because he wants to be a part of history and I feel like those communist party scenes lead to that and it makes sense why when Matt Damon comes he is on board for wanting to be a part of this yeah I think I think that's right I think um there's there's the line where he mentions like Stravinsky and Marx and a few other people mm -hmm. that were important in the 20th century as being part of like this general revolution across yeah. like all artistic mediums and you know including science in the artistic mediums I don't think is uh, too much of a stretch but so um, I th I think in that way yeah he definitely he wants to be part of the revolution and part of that is. In the 20th century is communism and part of that is quantum mechanics and part of it is in music and visual art of picasso and it's all sort of um it's all interconnected for him and he just wants to have some sort of role in it or at least that's 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 one side of his that's one of his possible motivations mm -hmm. um behind what he does no i, I agree and i i like i said earlier, i love that scene of matt damon being introduced in the movie that the scene of him being uh or him proposing the idea to Oppenheimer, I thought was great. Uh, like I said, the dialogue is fantastic, electric, and uh Oppenheimer and uh Damon have like really great chemistry. And I don't feel like we get a I almost feel like we don't get enough of them together. 
I feel like they're great in every scene that they have. And it's one of the more Damon's one of the more light uh, hearted characters, I guess, or he brings in a little bit more levity when he's on screen. I think he's a really needed presence in this movie where I think a lot, so a lot of these, some of the lines are like pretty funny. And I, the movie's very heavy, obviously, but I definitely in, because of just, I think how great the dialogue is. I enjoy a lot of the back and forth between the characters. It's got that, you know, that it's got that spark. It's got that energy that I really like in these back and forth sequences, whether it's at the trial or whether it's in the Robert Downey Jr. scenes, we're going to talk about those later, but Damon's introduction here is great. I really like the energy that he brings on screen. I, I, yeah, I do too. Um, I, I think you're right on the money in saying that he's sort of, he definitely has the most uh, comedic lines, although yeah, there's there's plenty of places to find comedy in this. You know, it's definitely yeah. not a, a one note, uh, just straight up tragic affair. Um, but yeah, I mean, Matt Damon is not Matt Damon's first foray into a Nolan film, but it is yeah. one of his larger um, contributions to mm -hmm. one. And um, I think he, Matt Damon is just a pretty solid actor. Yeah, around, <laughs> it's so, good. Yeah, no surprises there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I, I agree. And it just speaks to, like I said, Nolan's influence that he has this stacked cast. But one of the things I think that works so well about the these names that he's able to bring in whether they jump off the page quite like a robert downey jr smaller character actors like you know josh harnett and uh don dehan who was in amazing spider-man 2 and alden ehrenreich from solo these uh these other actors Josh or benny safty I'm, I'm still yeah, not really dude, sure <laughs> dude benny safty in this movie i want i want to talk about him because i think he's awesome as well uh, but all these actors he's able to bring into these supporting roles, while you may think, okay, we could get a no-name actor for those roles, what yeah. they add on screen, the way they deliver the dialogue in these scenes of Oppenheimer building, like almost like this Avengers, like let's build this group of scientists, let's get them on How board. We gotta <laughs> we gotta convince them. Uh, but I love like I use Avengers because it's you know it's in the zeitgeist but it's really to me like it's it's a testament to nolan as a writer as a filmmaker that he's able to use the like recruiting scientists and like having conversations about like uh fusion and vision and all that stuff like does it sound exciting but nolan makes them really exciting to watch the scenes of damon and uh Oppenheimer going around recruiting people, the conversations that Oppenheimer and uh, Teller played by Benny Safdie, those scenes are really enjoyable to watch. And once we once Damon gets introduced, I feel like the movie really starts to pick up steam where now it kicks into this gear where the movie doesn't stop. It's moving constantly. The editing's going back and forth. And it's really where the pacing starts to pick up and it's all in these scenes of explaining science and these scientists talking to one another but it's really enjoyable to watch and i think nolan does a great job at making them digestible and not like something the audience is just left completely confused by this movie is uh i'll say it makes your brain work for sure but nothing here you just can't catch everything here is 
you can catch Nolan's just not going to spoon feed it to you to you yeah and I mean a lot of this is, is driven by just the the conflict between the characters and this you know I mean everyone can understand this really. <laughs> and yeah. everyone can you know even if you don't if you have no idea what the characters are saying any audience member can still read the body language and realize where the power is where it shifts mm -hmm. you know what <laughs> what kind of uh what kind of differences people are at you know what kind of odds they have yeah struck against each other um and and how it all sort of uh falls out in the <laughs> yeah <laughs> so yeah i i mean i don't i wouldn't say that i i mean maybe i mean maybe i was following all of the scientific jargon but i really yeah. doubt that i was i that's why i really want to watch this movie again to yeah. to get further into maybe the intricacies of um how those mechanics work but i i think overall yeah there's if, you know i think this reminds me of people's other critique main critique of Nolan, which is that his sound design a lot of the times makes it difficult yeah. for many audience members to understand some of the dialogue even if with they could hear the dialogue they would clearly understand what was going on and i think i think this is very intentional on nolan's part and i think he wants people to really just surrender into their intuition of the story rather than trying to be super analytic and um uh, you know ca capture every single actual word you don't really need to hear words sometimes to understand what was right. intended what was meant and how it affects other characters, the, the progression of the story and the trajectory of the, you know, the, the narrative. So I, I think that these, like you were saying, the, the strength of these scenes is how kinetic they are and how they keep you moving through them um, and following enough <laughs> what, you yeah. know, the, the actual events so that you feel, you feel engaged and like, like something, you know, you're, uh, getting some sort of payoffs from and setups. No, I agree. And your point on the sound design, I thought was spot on. I think the sound design for this movie is incredible. The visceral, you know, when we get into those kinetic energy moments, the the visceral feeling uh, with the sound design is fantastic. The score, the way it's interwo interwoven in the sound design, I really yeah. liked. We get that reoccurring, um, that, uh, like sounds like a trailer room room which was in the trailer which is in the first part of the movie and yeah. the payoff for what that sound is mm -hmm. i think means a lot it was powerful it makes sense we're gonna get to mm -hmm. that later uh but the sound design i thought was awesome and when we're at this point in the movie i was already like when we're in those scenes of oppenheimer like uh learning at oxford and, and teaching at berkeley like i was into those scenes but now the movie's kicked into a gear where this movie has a complete has like complete control of me like i have surrendered to the experience where like the way nolan has edited or not nolan but the way he and uh jennifer lane have edited the movie and the the how well done it is it's just completely taking me along for the ride or I am on board for the experience and the buildup to the Trinity test set piece, which is the main, I guess, set piece of the movie. But, you know, you could get into some 
I guess for some people, you could get into a moral like you don't want to glorify the the set piece or whatever. I've heard that before. I don't really feel like this move. I, that wasn't something I was thinking about, but the buildup. I don't know why you would want to glorify it. It's a, yeah. a human achievement. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the buildup to this set piece, the execution, I think it's telling there were a couple times where Nolan was doing interviews and they would bring up the sound design choice for the Trinity test where it goes off, but it's quiet. And it's, it almost like, like I got like goosebumps. I'm like, Oh, okay. It's such a great, I mean, like brilliant decision to make. And like, if you could tell it means so much to Nolan that when they were bringing up that sound design choice, he went, no spoilers. Don't give away that feeling because to me the build up to the trinity set piece is so well done i think it's like i feel like it's a, a it's so well done like i could see people like talking about how nolan set this set piece up it had it it feels that big to me watching it maybe won't have that feeling and maybe this whole movie won't be like that at all but to me this movie had that feeling of people are going to talk about this set piece how it's built from a filmmaking standpoint is just, I am on the edge of my seat the entire time. And that decision, when the explosion goes off and you, and the way the characters set up with Benny Safdie, like covered in this cream and the goggles and Oppenheimer's watching hidden demons on the ground. It's such an incredible set piece. I won't forget it. It, it was honestly just, it was incredible. It was incredible. Yeah, dude. I wish, <laughs> I wish I had the uh, the the um technical knowledge for us to have that discussion now. But you're like, I I really it was just a it was just a um an experience for me. You know, yeah. I I wouldn't even begin to know how to dissect it. But um, yeah, the the sound, the how quiet the theater was. Um, when when the bomb first goes off was uh, something that will not soon be forgotten. I think yeah. definitely a, a chilling moment. Yeah, it, it's yeah, it was incredible. I mean, and you could tell at this point the whole theater, Nolan has him like a lot of pink shirts in my audience. Uh, so I was like, and a lot of talking at the beginning. I was like, oh boy, this needs to stop. This needs to stop, and it did. Uh, like that's like five minutes in, it stopped. But uh, it's a testament Nolan's ability to just capture the audience. Not a lot of directors can do that on this level. I mean, I I think a lot of movies, you know, you could say this movie captured me, or whatever. Nolan does it to such a degree. Like I don't like I did not look away at any point. Like during like maybe like a couple times, but like to look at my dad, but like. This movie like had my brain a hundred percent. Like I don't have like the great, like I was seeing how people like talk about like, you know, the whole theater where the theater is like this, like it's all encompassing or whatever. I don't quite have that at my uh, Little Rock uh, AMC, but my eyes were a hundred percent glued onto this movie the entire time. And this set piece is to me where Nolan is at that pinnacle of just like completely capturing the audience what's so amazing to me about this movie is that 
as good as this set piece is, it's not to me, and this, you may disagree with me on this, this isn't even the most powerful scene of the movie. No, uh, I, I agree 100%. Yeah. I, I know what scene you're going to say is the centerpiece, and I really want to hear you talk about it. So, yeah, yeah. Okay. Go, go right ahead. And I'll, I'll be totally upfront and admit it if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure I know what scene you're talking about. Okay, I've got two, but the main one for me, the one where I was like, where I was at the point where I was like, okay, the set piece might have just taken this like to out of 10 out of 10 for me. Yeah. The scene where I was like, this movie is um like, whoa, is yeah. Killian Murphy going to give that speech? Are we talking about right. the same scene? Yes. Okay. Yeah, that, yep. Dude, this scene, like, I don't know what Nolan did here, but this the level of like chill that went down my spine where we finally have this reveal where it's like a twist almost where what I thought was a train are these foot are these feet stomping this like American rah, rah. We did it. The bombs have just been detonated. The war is over. And there's been that moral quandary where at one point, you know, Hitler's dead. The Nazis have surrendered. Is there any point this is where to me, like the the um what would you call it? The moral quandary of the movie really starts to kick in where like what have we done? Like what have we done? And that is starting to like where Oppenheimer has kind of talked with Benny Safdie, where he's been like one of the, my favorite lines of the movie that he gives to some of the other people working on Los Alamos is they don't under they won't understand it until they used it. And they won't understand it until they've experienced it or something like that. Like that's why this had to happen. That's what Oppenheimer has been saying. But now that toll is starting to wear on him where he's giving this speech. It's loud. The sound design is so loud. The, the theater's almost vibrating and it cuts out. Like I'm getting goosebumps just talking about it. It like cuts out with this baby crying and I'll kid you not, and I'll admit it, a tear started to come out of my eye. And I was like, holy crap. Like, what just happened? Like, what? Mm -hmm. Like, I was so engrossed. And Nolan completely just, like, almost pierces your ear with this cry of a baby. And he's and this is where, like, uh, where the colored scenes are all Killian Murphy, Oppenheimer's perspective. So like now, like he's envisioning uh, a lady who I who I later learned was uh, Nolan's daughter, which I think oh, speaks really? to Nolan's there's Nolan didn't want to talk about that a whole lot, but it definitely meant something to him. That decision, he joked it. She worked cheap. There's definitely a reason why he made that decision. But um, man, are, uh, are James and Philippa in Inception? Are those Nolan's kids? Oh, dang, I don't know. I'd have to look that up. Okay, yeah, sorry. sorry. Have, no, you're uh, all good, you're all good. Unreleased. <laughs> <laughs> you're all good. But that decision, that moment, I mean, like it was like yeah. my hair got blew back. I, I mean, I was just so, like, I was like, that is one of the most, it, the impact, I mean, I, I can't even, like, find the words for it. It was incredible. Yeah, well, I mean, 
I mean, this is like the, I think the, if there was one word with which we could sum up the theme of Oppenheimer, it would be guilt. Yeah. Um, but more, more than just guilt, it's, it's just sort of, it's just the weight of mm. pain of the 20th century, I would say just generally. And it, it's, it's, you know, it going back to what you were saying earlier about how like, the the moral quandary doesn't really come in until after Hitler is, is dead. But when we're thinking about the 20th century as a whole, the third Reich is like the big moral stain, you know, besides the, besides Hiroshima and Nagasaki, the third Reich and, and what they did Mao, you know, there are so right. many of these atrocities that happened in the 20th century. And as, uh, as, human a human being collectively as humanity we kind of have to reckon with all of that and we kind of have to take responsibility for all of that or not and that's kind of like the main question of the movie is how much responsibility does an individual have to take on for the evil of collective humanity if you if you want to call it that right yeah and, and yeah and this is the scene where it all just like hits you on like a gut level where it's like yeah there is unspeakable pain that we do not generally um that w w we may not consciously wrestle with a lot of the time but is actually part of our dna in a weird way yeah um and, and he no one kind of like unlocks that in the audience he un he releases that pain that is like bound behind the the bars of our dna literally um so yeah yeah, I, I mean, this was definitely the centerpiece for me. Also, I agree. Like, mm -hmm. this is this is where it all kind of comes together, and then everything after this is just sort of like, how how does Oppenheimer deal with that realization, that moment of, uh, <laughs> that almost like it's almost a almost a spiritual moment. You know, he has this. Mm -hmm. He has a vision. He is literally overcome with this thing that is more than him that is like imposing itself on his perception yeah and he has to he has to um he has to contextualize that somehow and he basically the rest of the movie is just his attempt to do so um so yeah i agree i think this is the real one what was the other scene i'm really curious it was the end it was the ending scene for me that was the but okay. it was this scene had it for me above the set, the Trinity set piece, and the final scene. This scene to me, which I I don't even hear a lot of people talk oddly talking enough about like how visceral this moment is. But man, like that punch and what you're talking about, what the third hour means. Where I've heard some people say say the third hour is the like the worst hour to me. This is the yeah. best hour. This is the most important hour. This is to me where i got all of like the like the this is where the movie turned to the horror film for me like where nolan talks about like this movie being a, almost a horror film trinity yeah. set piece and on this feel this is horrifying like what we see of oppenheimer's guilt and you were talking about in in the uh this almost go back oh go back what comes to mind is almost like Dunkirk, how nobody knew, like some people didn't even know what Dunkirk was. And Nolan kind of like, Hey, this is a really powerful, like achievement for just the decency of humanity. 
and people not knowing or understanding what this moment, what that Trinity moment meant and what Hiroshima and Nagasaki meant. The way that Nolan conveys that importance to the audience and the way he shows it on screen, thank the Lord he did not choose to like go to Hiroshima and go to Nagasaki and like show that moment. That would have taken me out of the movie because the whole film other than the black and white stuff is from Oppenheimer's perspective. And I feel like the movie works best that way. It works best when we get him. He can't even look, he can't even look at the photographs of Hiroshima. He can't, he looks down and he, and I don't know like enough about like what a nuclear explosion would do, but like the skin peeling feels like him trying to almost like imagine or like his mind making up what it would be or something like that is almost how it reads to me. And it's him almost like filling in that gap in a way, but to the decision to keep it in his mind, I think works really, really well. And the horror continues into this scene with Truman, which is, which is comical in a way, but because Gary Oldman's great and he, the handkerchief wave was great, but it's also horrifying. And part of that is tied into the scene where it's Oppenheimer and Teller talking by the gate and they're by the truck of the two, the big boy and little boy or whatever, about to be shipped off on those trucks. Yeah. And it is like, this is out of our hands. And Oppenheimer's like, do you want me to go to Washington? He says that to Damon's character. And Damon's like, what for? It's done. And now yeah. he has lost... All, all controlled whatever scenes you thought like when Oppenheimer was leading the team or when he is kind of one-upping Damon's character in their opening introduction where he, it looks like he's got all the cards he is now with the losing hand and this scene of him going in front of Truman after being like uh, on the Times magazine cover or whatever where he's kind of mm -hmm. become this like martyr celebrity type figure and Truman's like, I killed those. Like he's like almost like he wants to take credit for it in a way. And this is a very fame one, another one of the, uh, like a famous moment. It's like well documented this meeting, but Gary Oldman's great. But there's a horror in Murphy's face when he realizes he no longer has control. And that scene with Oldman is another, not quite as powerful, but it, it continues that despair. It continues that guilt that this third hour to me is full of. Yeah, and um, it's definitely not without um, any precedent um, because, you know, like you mentioned, like the poisoning of the apple and like mm. uh, uh, Oppenheimer's relationship with women, his relationship with his child. Yeah, the way other characters have talked about him up until this point, saying you know, like, there's one I forget who, but someone at some point says like, I don't understand how someone who saw so much also saw so little, or something to that effect. You know, like, where we we are getting these hints that Oppenheimer is you know incredibly blind to certain consequences of his actions, or he has certain attitudes about what he can get he can get away with in his life because of his brilliance or you know his innovation right um and then he sort of is faced with the ultimate like uh consequence 
through his innovation, through his brilliance, and it actually becomes his downfall directly instead of just like, you know, oh, he's brilliant. So it's kind of like an excuse for whatever, um, you know, <laughs> like abnormal behavior or like, a, you know, degenerate behavior that he's, you know, been engaging in. It's like now because of his brilliance, he's faced with something that's even heavier than any of the consequences he's faced previously it could be argued um or at least that's the the function of it in the story Mm -hmm. and yeah i mean i don't i don't understand how people wouldn't see this scene as like the the gut punch emotionally um yeah Yeah, it's just a it's talking about where this movie stands a little bit just in nolan's filmography to me, this is him operating like almost at a level I didn't know. Like I didn't know he could be like this good. Like it's like like the emotion he's able to get out of these types of moments is just I think some of the best directing he's ever done. I mean, this is a uh, some masterful stuff that he's able to pull out of the audience here and just in this scene the Trinity set piece. And to me, this third act is uh, really well done. And to me, this is where my interest in the movie was at. Uh, This was where I was like, how are we going to talk or how does this movie dive into the guilt that this guy must feel? He moved out of the country. Like he's like been, he was like this uh, cast out figure as like the way we view him in history is like he did the um you know he did he made the atomic bomb and then he was out and like the government kind of cast him aside and we get some of that in the in the conversation with Truman where he's lost all control really and he just kind of the one thing he feels like he can do is to go like and speak out against the H bomb that Teller has been wanting to do. We get that great scene that I mentioned earlier with Teller or not, not Teller. I don't think Teller's in that scene, but with Robert Downey Jr. as Strauss and Oppenheimer around the table, just a great, that great scene kind of talking about Oppenheimer's apprehension towards the H bomb and the way that the people on the trial view that as some sort of, as that, type of hypocrisy but it's really just kind of Oppenheimer just at a really different spot than he was when he was originally um making the atomic bomb yeah but I mean that I mean I don't know I guess it depends on how you define it but it's hypocrisy I I think he he has to I mean Nolan definitely wants Oppenheimer to be this sort of like scapegoat figure of all of humanity's ills. And right. I think hypocrisy maybe is like the the number one <laughs> uh, yeah. like sin of humanity um, besides pride. So I, I think in, in that sense, Oppenheimer like embodies both of those. And it, it is kind of legitimate to say that Oppenheimer suddenly, you know, starting to preach against the H bomb is hypocritical. But that's yeah. not to say that his hypocrisy isn't. It, it doesn't come from an intention that is, you know, to sort of to to limit the the overall, you know, effect of his work on the, the A bomb. I mean, going back to the final scene, like you were talking about, like 
he he realizes that he's sort of opened Pandora's box in a way, and he's yeah. trying to keep hope inside um, with you know by preaching against the H bomb, but it doesn't really work. <laughs> right. Yeah. Which is kind I, of where that last scene gets its gets its punch from. Yeah, I, I'm excited to talk about that scene as well. But what we we got to introduce. Robert Downey Jr. here. This is where I feel like he really gets introduced into the third act of the movie. Um, Robert Downey Jr. kind of coming back. Remind, Do Little Never Happened, Patrick, was a movie that came out. Um, he's just kind of coming back, reminding people like when he's on his game and he's not playing Iron Man, which I think he's, you know, he's, say what you will about the Marvel movies, or Robert Downey Jr. is really fun, really charismatic as Iron Man. But Wait, he no, shows... I, I don't. I don't have to say that. I don't, I don't think he is. <laughs> <laughs> but when he's at the top of his game, when he's going for it, I mean, this oh, guy yeah. can is one of the best actors that we've got working today. And this performance is, I mean, it's Oscar worthy. I mean, he's probably going to win. It's it's a great, great performance. And the scenes of him taking this odd villain twist in the third act, which I kind of. I'll be honest, I suspected a little bit at the beginning, but as the movie went on, I was like, okay, I guess this movie's not going to go that way. And then it did go that way in the third act or in mm-hmm. the, the third part, I guess. But it's a great, I, I, I like this decision. I know people say that these scenes aren't the most interesting. I disagree. I like the performance Downey gives. It helps me buy in more to the story. I like these scenes between him and a uh, fake Han Solo and, I think that there's an interesting commentary that isn't as strong as something like what we've been talking about the uh, the the atomic bomb decision that Oppenheimer makes the to to build and the guilt around that which is kind of the core theme of the movie but there's definitely something that I feel Nolan gets at in with in talking about American politics American bureaucracy bureaucracy in this kind of untalented at least in how Nolan seems to view him this untalented guy who's just kind of made a living off of working in the shadows, building his way up in politics and the parallels between him and Oppenheimer in these court scenes are apparent. They're both kind of being blindsided in a way by, you know, not both of them not being able to see the hearing list, things being kept from them. But Strauss feeling like he's got it in the bag. He's going to, as much as he says power comes from the shadows, he's jealous of the attention, the martyr figure that Oppenheimer seems to have. And he's kind of going for it. And he does that by kind of sabotaging Oppenheimer uh, and kind of getting this big public setting to become like this next big figure in American politics. Downey's great, and I love the twist. And I think is the final scene that he gets between him and Alden Ehrenreich was really good. Um, it's a really well done scene. I think it's it's not the strongest aspect of the movie in terms of Nolan's commentary, but I think it, it does have something interesting to say about American American bureaucracy as a whole. Yeah, and I mean, I think it, it hits on the, the important the important thing to remember about politics, which is that it's the art of history, right? And it's it's the practical side of, of history. You know, if the if the record is the theoretical part of history, then the practical side of history is reputation, mm-hmm. you know, how how you're remembered, what impact you make. You politicians are always thinking 
primarily, you know, first of all, about what they can get, you know, in the short term, but right. then secondarily, like long term, what, how are people going to view them? Are they a great leader? Did they contribute something? Do they help people? You know, did, did they, did they have good intentions? Um, you know, were they a horrible uh, disaster? Like we have many examples of in the 20th century and mm. throughout history, but most politicians are horrible disasters. <laughs> um so yeah i mean i think i think it's it's certainly not uh too too much of a shift from oppenheimer's story to kind of introduce this discussion of legacy because yeah. that's really what oppenheimer is also concerned with you know that's why he's fighting the h-bomb so much is he doesn't want his legacy to become you know that he was death um and strauss is trying to ride that you know larger edifice in you know he's trying to kind of ride the wave of the oppenheimer into like his own little you know position and his own little um footnote in in the history books and um i i think it's uh certainly intriguing and kind of funny also how, how it falls apart and backfires on him and also something that i think a lot of the audience members were very happy to see uh <laughs> someone yeah. who is has uh political ambitions being treated in this way and, but also it's not a, it's not a one-sided portrayal at all robert Downey jr like you're saying one of the strength of his performance is how he kind of turns the flips the narrative on Oppenheimer, right? You know, when when things are falling apart for him, he kind of reveals his own point of view that, like, uh, I think you may have mentioned earlier that Oppenheimer is just kind of like, kind of reveling in this martyrdom that he's yeah. achieved, this sort of this position in society where people are sort of like revering and also kind of reviling him for his role in you know the previous. Um, events and that's that's a really compelling moment and it's yeah. kind of it's a challenge to the audience it's like how do you view these figures you know what how much blame you know and then it's i think it sort of turns the discussion of guilt onto the audience because now you have to ask yourself do we blame historical figures for what they do in, in the sense that they are they are you know they're products of their time they're products of their environment they're products of so many determining factors and we can't really understand their decisions you know retroactively and all we can really glean from them is the the great potential for destruction that we have now the great potential for evil that we all possess and it's um you know it's that that's that's a really challenging thing for an audience to 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 go through but also i i, I kind of see the 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 critiques of it i mean i'm not really a big fan of politics and i do feel like the last hour becomes it, it almost feels like a documentary style yeah um it, it, it sort of shifts it's it's not it barely even feels like um biography at that point it feels well i mean i said it's still biography but it feels very documentary style it's interested in many different points of view of sort of the past events so it, it definitely is a, a huge tonal shift and I, I can understand not everyone being on board for, for it but um yeah I, I really i really enjoyed this last act i'm with you yeah and i really i'm, I'm a 
fan just personally of like courtroom type settings in movies and like yeah. the social network. Aaron Sorkin has a lot of really good courtroom stuff. Nolan's kind of yeah. operating for the prosecution. Yep. No, Classic. Uh, a few good men. Like I love those types of movies and Nolan's kind of operating at that level where like just the dialogue is firing on all cylinders and the, the things between Jason Clark and uh, Oppenheimer kind of like, there's one point where like the camera, like the lighting just like flares up and it reaches this like really high point of intensity. And so there's still like, tension in these scenes and there's still like an energy that i feel is moving through the movie but i do agree with you it takes this almost documentary approach we also get we got to mention uh emily blunt of course in this movie who we haven't really talked about a whole lot i don't feel like this movie features her very prominently at least as much as i was expecting uh i really i think emily blunt crushes it in everything and when she finally gets the spotlight on her in this moment between her and the rest of the trial figures pretty much where it kind of feels like all hope is lost. And it's kind of, we kind of know that already, but we're kind of interested in seeing like, what is she going to do? She's been this kind of like very similar to Florence Punaway, this almost unpredictable character. And that, you know, she's this alcoholic. She kind of, it seems like Nolan's kind of commenting on her being a very intelligent scientist, but kind of, has to put that aside for this, uh, no pun intended, nuclear family, um, where I, I think that Nolan is dropping a little bit of commentary on that. It's not one of the most prominent parts of the movie, but I do think that when the camera's on her, she's going for it. This is kind of her best supporting actress like scene. Uh, I mean, she goes for it. It's a, gr- it's a great, great scene. And, and all, this also kind of happens at the same time where Rami Malek, comes in brings the hammer down on strauss so it kind of feels like we're getting these two powerful courtroom-esque scenes at the same time yeah and i mean credit to nolan's at this point expected uh you know like uh play of time <laughs> in juxtaposing those two scenes you know mm-hmm. like going back and forth between uh, across a few different years um yeah, I mean, I, I Emily Blunt was amazing. Um, I mean, I, this this almost feels like a, a point where you could almost parallel Barbie a little bit <laughs> in, in the two films, uh, yeah. discussions of the the feminine and their their role and this, this whole mess. Yeah, and I I this kind of re- reveal this kind of the downfall that the Strauss character takes it all ties back into that that one of the opening scenes that we got of the of the meeting between um Oppenheimer and Einstein and that and Strauss's involvement in that scene his kind of long-lasting bitterness of Oppenheimer kind of screwing him over at one point and also him what at least Strauss perceives as him pitting Einstein against uh, Strauss and Alden Eric has a great scene like they probably weren't even talking about you in that yeah. in that moment it all goes back into this scene I mentioned this scene was another one that reached a really memorable high point for me maybe not quite as visceral as the scene uh, when with Oppenheimer giving that speech but man 
this final scene, Nolan just, I mean, what, I mean, we've given him so many praises over this podcast, but I mean, he goes for it again. And man, this is uh, quickly, the more I think about this ending scene, what Nolan does here and the conversation between Einstein and Oppenheimer talking about at some point, you know, just like what Oppenheimer did, giving Einstein a medal at one point. We don't really see that scene, but it's hinted at a couple times in the movie. And them, or that is almost them pushing Einstein aside. We don't need you anymore. And the movie's kind of talked about that in the past of Einstein. He's kind of past his prime a little bit or something like that. Like he he's not as relevant as he was. And there's a new wave of scientific, you know, that uh you know we're, that we're operating we're in a new era now so to speak and Oppenheimer's like the because forefront of, because of, of that. him but going beyond exactly exactly and Einstein's like when you guys gave me that medal and you pushed me aside they're gonna do the same thing to you and they're never gonna make you relevant again and we see that scene of uh LBJ giving Einstein that or not of, of Oppenheimer that medal and it kind of feels like they just like buried him almost in a way. And we get Teller coming back in and great moment for Emily Blunt, like not shaking his hand when Oppenheimer's done that multiple times and kind of some of that character's bitterness towards Oppenheimer for kind of still like rolling over and not really fighting back at all to this system that's kind of gone against him. I thought that was a great moment, but it yeah. all really culminates in like as Einstein's walking away and he's like and Oppenheimer brings back that moment where like there was that moment in the movie where it, they thought if they press that button it's over and like the atmosphere will catch on fire and he said he, he has that one of the great lines I think we did destroy the world and the nukes go <laughs> off and the world's burning we get this just amazing visuals, the cinematography, all of it, the face, the face of Killian Murphy, the face of Oppenheimer, kind of like he almost looked like he's seen a ghost in a way or something. The way that it all culminates in the the man, it's a uh, quickly becoming one of the my personal favorite ending scenes. It's it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I, I see the power of the scene. I think I I for, I definitely um find the last scene the um the the scene where he's addressing all the the Los Alamos uh crew sort of supporting cast. Uh, I I, th I think it hits a lot more than this last scene because I, I don't just like personally, I don't see like nuclear holocaust as like really serious issue like i mean like, <laughs> i i don't know i i think one of my problems my one of my suspected problems going into this movie was that there was going to be like some fear mongering with you know with the situation in russia and the ukraine and the, and there yeah. has been a, there's there's a lot of that you know like atmosphere of like a, almost like a second cold war like is this the end you know yeah. is nuclear holocaust around the uh, around the corner is ai going to replace humanity in a few years mm. and it's like i don't care 
Like I, I don't know. I, well, I just thought that don't care. It's like it just. I don't know. First, I don't. I I think uh, I don't. I don't really live my life with like anxiety about these kinds of these existential threats to humanity because it's not i don't think it's really healthy or worthwhile to live that way and, and so i think i for me the ending scene was it wasn't a false note at all like i definitely get that like for oppenheimer that's where his character was at and that's where you know he was led to through all of this guilt and fear about you know further further tragedy but i i, I think if if there's any kind of suggestion in that scene that the audience needs to like take on that sort of um that that sort of outlook i'm i'm not really not really uh a proponent of the scene from that point of view but i mean it's technically there's nothing really wrong with it i think i think it's a, a a natural um conclusion to the story for sure and and really i mean you can't fault Killian murphy's performance yeah I mean, I under I think I yeah, I understand your perspective on that. And I don't really know if I guess I didn't really take it that way. It just was kind of like this almost this like this is putting it lightly, but like this oh crap moment for Oppenheimer where like man, like yeah. the it's him. I mean, all the nukes firing in the air, like that's not something that's happened, obviously, but it's him imagining this possible this possible world where i mean you you talk about our current events right now and it definitely does i don't think it's what nolan was getting at but it certainly feels relevant because of the time we're living in um but i mean i think i had a i had a bit of a more i guess this did see this scene did to me reach somewhat of it i i'm not like i'm not about to start like fearing nuclear holocaust or whatever but it did for this scene reach a bit of an existential level and it, it definitely made me think like you know talking about like maybe not thinking about that stuff a lot it definitely made me think about it a lot after the movie was over and i think that was that was powerful because i don't think i, I don't think that people should obsess over it because there's really not there's I mean not a whole lot like for me there's not a whole lot I can do than like just you know try and do my best in the world I guess but like at the same time it's something that I think people ought to be aware of and have a healthy respect for if that makes sense and I don't really feel like and you may disagree with me on that you may disagree with me on that um because I mean one of the things that about that somebody brought up in like a panel or something is one of the things Oppenheimer may have gotten right is um, that stuff has like, we haven't gotten another nuclear like launch since Hiroshima and Nagasaki. So like there is somewhat of a, like maybe like we have had war obviously since then, but we haven't reached this like nuclear, like war level that Oppenheimer intended when he was making the weapon, but now that is what he fears in this final scene. So I think there's a lot of paradox in a way how Nolan has tied the movie all around. I thought it was really powerful. It left me stand. I like my dad was ready to get up. I was like, holy crap, I'm not ready yet. Like yes. this scene really hit me. And I get that it may not have done that way, been that 
effective for you, even though I, I'm not hearing a whole like criticism, just that it wasn't as powerful as many of the other great scenes that we've gotten. But it definitely hit really hard for me. It's it, it's just a I think a really good way uh to cap off the movie. Like you said, a natural conclusion, but the tying it back to the Einstein scene was right, but it wasn't where I thought the movie was going to end in a way. So I it was a I thought it just a really welcome surprise to bring it back to that moment and this kind of this despair that has seemed to have fallen over Oppenheimer. I just thought it just in summary, I mean, ties it all around very, very well. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, it's certainly it's a devastating state for you to leave your main character in. I mean, yeah. we're talking about his art. He starts out, you know, he's got anxiety and all this. He's still already troubled at the beginning, but he, he has mm -hmm. a lot of hope and he's a whole, a whole lot of interest in quantum mechanics. And then it, by the end, he's kind of like everything he thought, everything he had interest in that he thought was going to, you know, come to some sort of like glorious new era for humanity has sort of turned in on itself and become this right. like sick evil thing that has like ruined his life like even like his interest in communism you know that came from like a very positive like idealist um point of view at the beginning of the movie throughout the movie that's constantly weaponized against him and yep. turned into like this thing that you know puts a lot of stress on him and his family and potentially or at one point could have ruined his reputation you know for good um so yeah it's definitely like a, it's a it's a pretty impactful ending it's a it's a hard ending to watch but I yeah. just I feel like like you're saying, yeah, on the on the existential threat level, every generation has an existential threat. If it's not a bomb, it's a disease. If it's not a disease, it's the gods are gonna rain down, you know, fire. Mm. You know, it, it's every, like I don't know, there there is something apocalyptic in humans that has to that like produces these narratives of like, you know, if we don't change, this is you know, it's more interesting if we don't change we're all going to die. You know, this whole experiment is going to end. Consciousness disappears from the, you know, what, what will happen then? You know, it's like, it, it's definitely, uh, it's, <laughs> it, it provides a lot of, a lot of motivation for a lot of people to, to, you know, change the world to, you know, steer us away from that eventuality. Um, but I, I, I think, I don't know. I just no. feel like every generation has that. It's like, no, yeah, I agree. But I think yeah. it's nice that this movie does remind you of that in a way where I don't feel like, at least from my experience, that is it. Like, we hear that stuff thrown around a whole lot, uh, but I don't think we ever stop and think about it. And I was just, I, that's one of the things I think that I just appreciate about this movie is at least Nolan's making you think. Like, at least he's like provoking these questions out of the audience. Movies don't really do that a whole lot, and at least in my experience, like at least at this level, where I mean, I don't, I think great movies still come out today. Obviously, I'm not making that case, uh, but the, the that just just to see a movie kind of offer up these questions and gives and not really, it it gives a conclusion, but I do feel like Nolan leaves the right things open ended if that makes sense where it's yes. it does i i feel like this movie doesn't give like a like when it comes to the uh like should we have fired the nukes i don't think like nolan's making some grand stand that 
no, we shouldn't have done it. But I think it right, yeah. paints a really good picture of this character. And as a character study, it provokes these questions. But it ne- it doesn't have to offer these really, like, firm stands on, like, like, it doesn't feel unsatisfying, but it doesn't have to, like, make, like, plant a line in the sand and, like, here, this is what, you know, it, it's not, it doesn't, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I, I'm I mean, yeah, there, I, but... I think, I think that's exactly what it's supposed to do. And I think that's what Barbie did, too, you know, like, to, to bring it back to that, you know, like, <laughs> introducing a lot of questions, you know, presenting a few possible answers, maybe. Mm-hmm. And, you know, finding where those opposing answers sort of like where that dialectic kind of uh, drops out, you know, other, further questions and then leaving the audience with those questions to consider. Uh, I th- yeah, I think that's what every great story does for sure. Yeah. No, I no, I agree. Or, or even passable stories should do that, you know, yeah. it's, uh, to some degree. <laughs> yeah. Well, to put in summary, Patrick, we always end with the do you recommend or not recommend? I think it's pretty clear, but final thoughts, final summary on Oppenheimer. Uh, final thoughts. Great film. I, I mean, I, I, you kind of hinted earlier that you that you thought it was one of Nolan's best. I, I agree. I, I I think it's probably my favorite Nolan movie, at least right now. Maybe that's recency bias. I also really liked Tenet, so if you're a person listening that didn't like Tenet, you can just go ahead and discount everything I've said because obviously <laughs> our tastes don't uh, coincide. But yeah, I really like Tenet. I really like this. I, I kind of think Nolan is in like you know the best period of his career so far. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know these are not the movies that he's made his name with, but I wouldn't be at all surprised if they're the ones he's remembered for. I think, mm-hmm. especially with Tenet, I think that that legacy is gonna change i think that 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 will have a renaissance at some point yeah but um yeah so yeah definitely a recommend what about you i think yeah as for me it's a it's a pretty clear strong recommend and like like you said i where i'm at right now and like you said maybe recency bias i think this is best film and it just feels like a culmination of what has worked for him so far, what he did with Interstellar, what he did with Dunkirk, what he did with Tenet. Those films almost feel like this grand culmination to me where like this is like his like, like I, I, I don't know if you would call like Oscar bait feels like a bad term to use, but like this is him like going for it. He's pulling out all the stops for this really riveting drama that just almost redefines to me like what a character study ought to be not like i'm not saying every character study needs to be oppenheimer but for what nolan does with this character the questions he asks the the kind of the paradoxical nature of some of it and the chilling as the horror of it i think in the third hour or the second half is really potent to me and I've heard I still am seeing the Nolan, you know, devoid of motion once again with Oppenheimer. I did not have that experience. This to me feels like his most emotional work. It's the most emotional, the most emotional I've gotten. It feels like the most skilled he's been at evoking emotion. You know, there's that scene in Interstellar of Matthew McConaughey crying, watching his kids age. And that hit me hard. I thought that was a great scene. 
uh, and made me emotional. But there's a very much a I want to I want manipulative nature to that scene in a way that this movie doesn't really have. It feels like this is just like Nolan is just showing you this chilling perspective that evokes emotion out of you. And Nolan is using these little tools to draw that out of you. And it makes for an experience in a theater that I don't think I'll ever forget the sound, the music, the way Nolan kind of just brings it all full circle where this script has kind of built into this third act where all of the scientists and uh, names that we got dropped earlier, they all come back around. It feels airtight. It's an incredible film. I think it's Nolan's best, at least right now. And I'll we'll see how it ages. You know, I don't. I've I've teased it. I don't want to get into the will this save cinema. I don't really bu- I don't buy into a whole lot of that necessarily. There's just no way of knowing. Like I don't think we've ever like, like I don't think we've ever like watched a film and then gone like this movie is gonna live on for thirty years. And I don't feel like that always happens. Like, Avengers Endgame was really big in 2019. The Endgame does not feel that big to me at all, looking back on it, at least. Like, yes, it's a big movie. It made a lot of money. But it did not redefine anything. It's not a movie that I go back to a whole lot. I don't know how this movie's going to age. I hope it ages well. I hope this movie breathes a little air back into, like, you know, I feel like cinema gets thrown around a whole lot by certain filmmakers, Scorsese. But, like, what that even is, I don't really have a full grasp of because, I don't know, I, just, I don't know, it gets thrown around a whole lot. I don't really understand, like, what people always mean by that. But I would like to see this movie breathe a breath of fresh air into newer releases where, like, I've reviewed movies and there's some great stuff every year. Normally, 2020 wasn't a great year other than Tenet. Uh, and Mank, but other than that, I wasn't really a big fan of even the. I thought I thought last year was good, but I'm I'm in need of more movies like this, of more filmmakers like Noel. I think Denis Villeneuve is one of those. Um, but I kind of went off on a tangent there. In summary, every technical aspect of this movie is incredible. The acting, the editing. The score, the cinematography, Nolan's directing. If he can't win, Patrick, if he can't win best director for this movie, what are we doing? What are we doing right now? I mean, he hasn't gotten it yet. Give Well, I mean, hopefully if he doesn't win, that means that there's some other movie is going to blow this one out of the water on the directing front, which I'm okay with. I'm I'm okay. Dude, if killers of the flower moon is Scorsese's best movie ever. All right. I'm, I will support it. But (laughs) like if anything that's come out so far this year beats it, uh, I don't know what I'm going to do because Nolan, him not having one feels crazy to me, but for this movie, it feels like a must like surely this is it. But, you never know. The Academy always throws a little curveball in there. You never know what's going to happen. But Killian uh, Murphy d- possibly delivers one for the ages. It's a great performance. It's I, I always like I don't always speak on the performance aspect of things a whole lot. It's 
because a director is always kind of what I'm thinking about going into movie with like a Nolan, a Tarantino. Those are names I'm always thinking about. I'm not really thinking about celebrities or actors or anything like that as much and just the way I look at movies. But what Murphy does here is a, a, a high watermark in recent performances. It's great. I can definitely see him winning. The year always picks up towards the end in terms of Oscars, but you know, Robert Downey Jr. right now seems to have that in lock. Editing, screenplay. This movie's just a achievement in every aspect. And it's the type of movie we don't get a whole lot. It feels special watching it in the theater. It's a it's a great film. I've thrown a lot of superlatives around that I didn't mean to throw a lot of superlatives around, but uh, you know what? Sometimes you know it's sometimes Patrick just gotta. It's let hard it. to talk about movies, dude. It's hard to talk about movies like this. It's like, yeah. I, what are you? What are you gonna? What are we gonna say that can we can't match the experience? Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's hard to it's hard to uh, translate that. So, so, dude, use all the superlatives. You yeah, want. I mean, just go. Like, I would encourage people go see it, even if this doesn't. And I've seen negative reviews to the movie. You'll always find those. There's always like, you know what? It was a little overrated. I don't know. I just like you always hear that type of stuff. But um, man, I hope you I, I encourage people to step outside their comfort zone with this one. If there's ever a movie like, man, don't look like it's for me. Step outside your comfort zone for this one, because I really feel like you'll be rewarded by it. Go in with an open mind. Uh, I mean, this is a director. I regardless of what footnote this movie leaves on, you know, cinema, whatever that means. Nolan, I think, is definitely going to be a director that we look back on, you know, like you were bringing up with a Kubrick, Altman, all those directors. Nolan feels like he's going to be one that we will look back on 50, 70 years from now and go like that dude, when he was operating, did something really special. And this movie feels that way to me. It feels like his best work. Uh, it's a very strong recommend. One of the best movies I've seen in a while, personally. I can definitely say that. Like, this movie is easily one of the best movies I've seen in a very long time. I can't remember. I mean, oof. Yeah, it's been a minute since I saw a movie this good. And, I, and I'm happy for it. Like, 2023 has been a really... I know you don't keep up with things as much, but, like, this summer movie season... It's been rough, Patrick, trying to get people excited about the summer movies. But Barbieheimer picked things up, and Mission Impossible was really good, too. Feels like that. I hope that movie doesn't fail because of these two movies, because Mission Impossible was really good. Go check it out. Um, Anyway, that's it. That's Oppenheimer. That's Barbieheimer. Go uh, a recommend from Patrick on Barbie. Uh, not recommend on my side, but I thought that you offered a really interesting perspective on that movie that I didn't think about. Um, Oppenheimer, it's, I think, a strong recommend from both of us. Go check them out. Patrick, you got any plugs? You got any social media that you want to just let out there? Like, if you want to, if you enjoyed this conversation, go check out Patrick where? Yeah, uh, at Dead Alive Return on Letterboxd, one word. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's pretty much it. I don't really do a lot of social media. So. Yeah, go check out yeah. our tenant review if you liked us talking about Nolan. Yeah. One of my favorite conversations we've had. Twin Peaks was another one. One of our uh better conversations as well. Uh, go check them out. We talked about all the Dark Knight films. 
with Sam. You can go check those out. Um, I'm on Letterboxd. I had this was a very tumultuous year for me in Letterboxd because I have had a list stacking up of movies I needed to review. 80 films I was sitting on Patrick that I needed to review. And I can't bring myself to just like, it was good. I got to like give the three paragraph. Like here's what was good. Here was what that was bad. I finally got that list knocked out uh, this summer. So I am all caught up, but uh, I feel like uh, I've, those reviews are worth checking out on Letterboxd. Um, go listen to some of our episodes. Share the podcast. Spread the podcast. Spread the love, people. Come on. Spread the love. Uh, five stars on Spotify. Reviews always help on Apple Podcast. Uh, let's, grow, let's grow the channel a little bit, people. Let's go. Uh, but anyway, Patrick, thank you. Another, I'd say thought-provoking discussion we've had here today uh good stuff i hope so i hope so i, I think that all depends on the audience yes it depends on the audience <laughs> maybe we were just rambling but i feel like there were some nuggets in there for people to think about but um anyway that's all strong recommend for both of us go see oppenheimer and maybe a little uh i think a little te- something teenage mutant Ninja Turtles is coming out but really go see oppenheimer again all right Peace out. We'll see you guys next time.